Thank you, uh, Warren and Hill children, for that offering to the Lord this morning. Appreciate that. Well, you are just an amazing group of people. I tell you, you haven't changed a bit since I saw you last year. You know, I got to wait all year to say that joke every year, so I always look forward to it. Nobody beat me to it this year either. This actually is my first time seeing you all this year, and it's great to be back in the household of the Lord. Uh, I'm always very grateful that in my absence, that the Lord always provides uh, men to bring forth his word. And a special thanks to Mr. Jeff Liverman for preaching in my absence. And I appreciate his word. You'll be amazed at how his message will will tie into the end and the application of the message this morning on temptation. It's it's spot on. Um, And I just appreciate your willingness to put your heart and your soul. And he said, I did listen to it online and he did say he he doesn't take it lightly, nor should any of us take God's word lightly. We're going to find out this morning just how necessary it is and how powerful it is. To know, to understand, to memorize, to respect, to reverence the very word of God. It ties right into the idea of worship as being our all in all. So thank you, Jeff. Appreciate that. Also, just as an announcement, we will have a baptism here. Like it or not, Lance Rank is getting baptized the 29th. No, he's he's ready. We had to cancel only one time, so now it's the 29th. He just wanted to wait for it to get a little colder and a little colder. So now that it's nice and cold, we can have a baptism. So that'll be on the 29th. Appreciate your prayers and presence there. Well, we are on our final sermon on the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. And as I was preparing for this and thinking about this morning, I was thinking, I'm so glad that Jesus didn't have to endure this temptation as long as it's taken me to get through this temptation. Because it has been week after week after week and we've had a, a few unnecessary interruptions. But um, we are at our final phase here in this temptation passage. And so far, we've learned the difference of uh, between tempting and testing. And we have learned what it means to live by the word of God and not trust or rely on bread alone. And we have learned not to put God to the test. This morning, we're going to look at this final temptation and then close with some application regarding the victory that Jesus had over this temptation. So I want to go ahead and read the passage in its entirety. Matthew chapter four, verses one through eleven. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands. They will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test again. And here's where we are this morning. The devil took him to a very high mountain 
and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus is standing his ground. The enemy is persistent, is he not? This is temptation number three, challenge number three. And it is a reminder that the enemy is persistent. And if the enemy is persistent, then we need to be persistent as well. Have you ever noticed under sometimes under the burden of temptation, the enemy will come at it from this angle, as he did with Jesus. He'll introduce this idea or entice us in this way. If that doesn't work, then he comes around from a different angle, all in the hopes of bending us to his will. It reminds me of trying to get a post out of the ground. You don't. Unless you're He-Man, you don't just grab it and pick it straight up out of the ground. You got to wiggle it this way, and then that's not enough. Then you got to move it back and forth this way. All of that to give a little um, leeway in the ground to move the, the earth and the dirt so that finally you can get it up. And that's what Satan is trying to do here. He's coming at all different angles, bending this way to try to bend him this way to try to get Jesus to submit to his will. So it's this constant pressure. But Jesus, fortunately, is in great spiritual shape. Are you in great spiritual shape this morning? Now, he is weak in the flesh because he has fasted a long time and he refused to turn the stones into bread. But he as he is at perhaps his peak spiritually because he is totally surrendered and submitted to the will of God. So he's not going to live by bread. He's going to put his trust in the Lord. So what is this temptation number three all about after all? Well, it's about, I think probably it's about a lot of things, but if you had to summarize it in one word, compromise, it is a temptation to compromise in this way, in getting what you want or getting what you think you need in a way that is outside of the plan of God. It's, it's curtailing or skirting the plan of God. And so what Satan is doing here is he is tempting Jesus to receive the reward that the father has for him, but not according to the father's means. Now, here's what we know. Jesus came into the world knowing that he is a ruler. He came into the world with a desire to rule. He loves to rule over people. He's a great ruler. And so he has this in his mind. It's not some glory that he has not yet thought about. We also know that God has already promised him the throne. He's already promised that he will reign and rule over all nations as found in Psalm 2a. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So God has promised this. That's what he wants. And the father has promised the son, the throne and the position of rulership. So if Jesus already intends to rule and he he's already been promised by the heavenly father. Yes, you shall sit on the throne and this will all be yours. Then 
where's the point of temptation? What is enticing to him if he already has these things coming to him? Or he's in the midst, actually, of receiving his inheritance. Well, there's two things at work here. The lesser thing is time. He, he will not have to wait because there is a process that needs to be accomplished before the Father will grant him this inheritance. So it's a matter of time. And in essence, Satan is saying, hey, you don't have to wait. I'll put you on the throne right now if you'll just do what I ask. Time. And we sang that last song. Uh, time is in his hands. Do you, do you realize that Satan uses something as common as time to tempt us? Now, as a very, I'm an impatient person. I've tried to try and try to overcome this. And sometimes I do better. And other times, next thing I know, I've fallen right back into it. And I get really anxious about time and schedules. And things just have to go a certain way. Because if it doesn't, it pushes my clock back. And we were singing that song, Time is in His Hands. How many times does Satan trip us up just because we get impatient? God, God has promised it. Or he, he's promised something to us and we just refuse to wait. We want something now. Time can be a huge temptation. And so that could be a part of this. It's a matter of time. But second, the, the, the big temptation here is that Satan is offering him the throne without the, the, the agonizing work of redemption. Without the agonizing path of God's plan. See, God's plan is that Jesus is the king, but he's the suffering king. That Jesus is the king, but he's the king that is presented in some aspects and suffers as the criminal. There's a path, there's a sovereign plan that God has in stepping in time. And Satan is offering Jesus a way to skirt around that, a way out of that, a way out of walking the Via Della Rosa, the road to the cross. Out of the mockings, it's, it's a way to get around, to rule and get around the, the lies that will be spoken about him. The, the, the brutality, the pain and the suffering and the shame and the humiliation and the piercings and the suffocation. All of that that Jesus knows is the path to the Father's victory. Satan is offering him a way around all of these things. All of these very, very real hurts. So he can take it in that sense, the throne. And he can be as a God. Satan is offering him at least a sub-God position. You're ruling as a God if you will worship me, of course. So, spare yourself. Spare yourself the pain. Spare yourself all these things that you know you're going to have to endure in order to sit on the throne God's way. And, in essence, let me just tempt you or entice you to do it. My way. Without the execution. But what is this? This is an invitation really to walk in darkness. It's an invitation to be evil. It's an invitation to walk in wickedness. It's an invitation to get what you know you want. Your heart longs to rule. 
It's already been promised, but we're going to do it in the wrong way by the wrong means. Not according to God's perfect and pure law and timing. It may seem insert, insert, I'm making up words like Jeff did in his sermon, Christianary. Jeff was a Christianary in his sermon, a Christian missionary. Thought that was pretty clever. That might catch on and go viral. Insert, not so much, but it may seem absurd that Satan has a way of coming up with deals. He has a way of coming up with deals, with enticements of giving us what we want without having to get it through God's means, God's ways and the the path of living water that God gives to us as a gift in his word. The, The Proverbs and the rights and the wrongs and the warnings and the woes. He can come up with some doozies of deals. So he he can come along and make suggestions that we can have what we want. You can have that new house after all. You can have that new car. You can have that new girlfriend. You can have that new job that you deserve, that you've been working so hard down to a bike or a toy or a book or a position of power. You, You can have these things that your heart wants and you don't have to go through God's way to get it. There is another way. In many cases, for you to get what your heart longs for, right ways and wrong ways. And, you know, maybe God's way is, after all, taking way too long. And maybe the the path there is just really difficult. I mean, it might take tremendous self-control and discipline to get it God's way. Self-denial. And I can offer you these things. And deliver them to you if you'll just do it my way and worship me. So you get what you want, in essence. So he's offering uh, this deal. And there's a price to pay. Sometimes there's a price to pay uh, to follow God, is there not? There's a price to pay to follow Satan as well. But it's a different price. Uh, The price we pay is is you, you lose your life to find it. Uh, the price that with God, the price we pay with Satan is that we live in evil and that we get the wages of the sin that we deserve. It's the price of death. It's the price of hollowing out our souls, if you will. It's becoming less and less in the image of God because we are less and less like God and more and more like Satan when he is our ruler. We've got to watch out for this deal maker. We've got to watch out. For these great opportunities that may enter our minds, especially in this land of what? Opportunity. And boy, is this a land of opportunity. Never in the history of mankind has a group of people had so much opportunity to be and do whatever they desire to be. The sky is the limit. And that's a wonderful atmosphere where people can thrive But we have to be careful in this land of opportunity because not all deals or not all great deals are so great. As a matter of fact, they may be deals. The enemy is behind them to sell ourselves out. And our culture is absolutely filled with these. I mean, uh, how many times do are, are we invited in our culture to get rich? It's like every other commercial if you watch TV. 
uh, or, or advertisement. There's just all of these ways you can be rich for crying out loud. All you got to do is buy this book or go through this program or whatever. Don't you can't do it like the real rich people do it. And matter of fact, you can make me rich by buying my book. So there's lots of opportunities. And yet scripture, scripture says it, it, it is excessively hard for the excessively rich to even enter into the kingdom of God. So these great deals are not always so great. And and you think about um, the, the offer of things that our hearts long for, not just riches or material things, but just personal acknowledgement and fame. You know, just just ego boosts. Look at how many opportunities there are to be famous now. It's an epidemic, really. It's a cultural it's a cultural epidemic to desire to be famous. What are you talking about? Just think about all the things that go viral. Everybody and, and now people want to go viral because if I can just get myself out there. And so they do all kinds of crazy, silly things, uh, impure things. You know, you have young people texting pictures of of their body parts just for that moment of fame. Wow, I can't believe how much attention I'm getting. And all I did was send out this picture. Just this week, I read an article. It caught my attention, kind of said something like father strangles daughter. And I said, what the world? What father strangles daughter? His daughter, teenage daughter, was sending out nude pics. That's not the way to handle it. But apparently he tried. He said, yeah, warned her and warned her and she wouldn't stop. And so I got lost my temper. This Satan offers us, hey, take a walk in the darkness for your moment of what you might call fame, for your moment of what you might call glory or light. These kind of deals and these kind of opportunities are not always good deals because what they really do is they they empty our hearts of who God intends us to be. There's such a thing as dignity. There's such a thing as being precious. And there are attributes that God desires to pour into our being that makes us more so as we conform to the image of Christ. And Satan can bring these things to ruin. Fame, for instance, I mean, who can handle fame? You you look at Hollywood or even the the big um, athletes and few people can really handle the riches and few people can really handle the fame. Hollywood is filled with brokenness. You don't hear those stories of the ruin. The people, I'm here, I'll do whatever it takes to get my moment of fame. And they sell their souls. And some of them, most of them never get their moment of fame, but yet they've sold their souls. And who do you think is behind these kind of things that bring ruin and shipwreck? It is the prince of darkness. If Satan tempts Jesus with the power to rule in darkness, who do you think is behind the other temptations of other leaders and kings that are in a position to rule over people? The Satan. We have modern day examples, of course, the, the people that often or the organizations that often make solicitations for charities. We need to help these people because they're starving to death. The children are starving to death. We have people groups. We have entire countries that are in great, great need. But when you you dust off 
the, the surface and look into what's actually behind that, most of these situations are not because this, these people or the land they're in don't have the resources in order for them to prosper. Most of the times it is because of simple greed and crookedness of the leaders. It sounds too simple, but that's just the honest truth. And a lot of times the aid that is given doesn't even reach the people that need it. Why? Greed. There's this darkness. There's this crookedness. Who do you think is behind this evil that we are witnessing in our own lifetime? To deprive others so that I might have, so that I might be exalted. Who wants to be exalted above all gods but Satan? And he is planting these enticements into our minds and hearts. We have to be on the lookout for these kind of great deals or opportunities that come our way. It's an offer to compromise. The end justifies the means. So what if I have to step on a few people or tell just a few little lies to get what I want? Isn't it worth it? So we are tempted to give Satan the throne of our lives to let him rule us, to walk in darkness. And, you know, Satan gives us the Turkish delight and we love it. It's our favorite so that we'll just keep coming back for more and keep coming back for more. But it costs us. There's a there's a tremendous price to pay when we make decisions of evil. Caught, we have to exchange a truth for a lie. That's what we do every time we sin. We just exchange this precious thing that we call truth. We pray we want to hear truth in church. We just exchange it for a lie. We just exchange goodness and purity for evil and wickedness. When we let Satan rule in that way. What does it lead to? Despair. Leads to despair many times because we know we're not doing what we were created to do. And it just leaves this terrible feeling in our hearts and souls. We know right from wrong. We have some form of knowledge from right from wrong, though it may differ from culture to culture. It just leaves us really, really empty and despairing. Can we actually get things that we want by curtailing God? I mean, does it really even work? Yeah, it works. It works. You can get things. You can just say no to God and get what you want. And by lying, by cheating, by stealing, by doing the works of the enemy. Sure, it can, in many, many cases, we can get what we want. We don't have to worry about waiting so long or going through so much hardship. If we listen to our flesh. Satan gives us lots of opportunities to compromise. You ever hear this one? Look, just go ahead and, and have sex. You're, uh, you're engaged to be married anyway. You're going to be in a covenant relationship. So why wait? Is that what Scripture teaches? Is that from the enemy? Is that from the flesh? Who hasn't heard that if you are of any age? Go ahead and... Your, your heart longs for a relationship. You're tired of being living alone. Go ahead and marry a non-Christian. I mean, this is a decent person. Decent person to spend the rest of your life with. They'll treat you really well. Go ahead and 
have an affair because your spouse is not meeting your needs anyway. And then that what relationship is all about. And they're not meeting your needs. You deserve this. Everybody else is doing it. Indulge yourself in pornography. It's, it's that feeling that you can't get on without. The enemy will give us this good feeling so that we long for more and more. Now, if you think about this, this process in the big picture, it actually gets even gloomier as if it's not gloomy enough already. If you think about it, in order to get what we want and, and uh, curtail God or skirt around the ways of God, the laws of God, here's what we, in essence, are doing or have to do. Become like Satan. Satan is a great counterfeit. The book of Revelation. He is a tremendous counterfeit. He wants to counterfeit everything that God intends to do. And this is being conformed to the image of Christ in reverse. In order to get the things we want outside of God's plan, the fact of the matter is we have to become like Satan in order to do it. We, we have to break rules. We have to break trust. We have to break hearts. We, we have to push boundaries and leave a path of destruction in our wake. If we're not going to walk in the light and enjoy those blessings in God's timing, then what we are doing is we're embracing evil. It's hard to look at it like that. But we are embracing evil. And what happens is Satan loves to do this is he loves to unravel us. And in a sense, or, or, or undo us, the thing or the creature that God made, he, or dis, he disrobes us. See, God has created us in the image of God to do the works of God, to serve God. We were reminded of that. That's why we're here to worship. That's the, that's the penultimate thing to do, is to worship God. And Satan wants to demean us and disrobe us of this honor and dignity by causing us to be in very compromising situations where our purity is gone and our integrity is gone and the essence of goodness is gone and just just drain it right out until we are shriveled up human beings with no hope. You see what would happen here? Christ can can have the world and rule the world as long as he does it Satan's way. There are rules that need to be adhered to as the sub God. In other words, he'll have to become like the beast. It's an invitation for the Christ to be the Antichrist. And if he did not say no to this temptation, that's exactly what could conceivably have happened. Can you imagine the powers of it's getting into a um, X-Men kind of movie here? Can you imagine the, the powers of Christ bridled by the power of Satan or or controlled by Satan? <coughs> to compromise is to conform to the image of the Antichrist instead of Christ. And, of course, the paradigm of Christianity is to what? Conform to the image of Christ. That's what every day of our lives is about. Every day of our lives, every waking, waking, waking second is that we are conforming more and more and more and more to the image of Christ until God brings it to fruition in heaven and the afterlife. Fortunately, 
Fortunately, Jesus is the king that Matthew has been telling us about in the first three chapters. He really is stately. He really is royal. He really is strong. He really is principled. And he will not become like the world in order to rule the world. It will not be in the flesh. It will be in the spirit. And so he quotes scripture once again. And he says to the enemy in verse 10, be gone, Satan. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. What a great answer. What a great answer. Satan, there is only one God and you are not it. Can we say be gone to the enemy? Do we always know? Are we always cognizant of the fact that there really is only one God and Satan is not it? This one God has pure, good and strict standards that bring life. There's there's not middle ground. There's not compromise. It is God alone. What a great answer. What a great way to endure a tremendous temptation. That's his answer. That's his answer to the easy way out. That's his answer to avoiding the cross, to avoiding the mockings, the shame, the humiliation, the whippings. His answer is God alone. There's just one that's worthy of. Of my devotion. There's just one that's worthy of my sacrifice. There's one that's worthy of my joy and my adoration. It is God alone. It is not you. Talk about resolve. Talk about a mindset. Talk about white hot worship. See, the the, the way to overcome this temptation is by understanding the universal truth and reality That all of this came into being, including ourselves, because of the one God that rules and reigns. And everything in this universe cries out to that one God to give him glory. Not two gods. And not evil. The interesting thing is that as we serve this good God, this one God, this God alone... Not all the times, but most of the time we do get the desire of our heart anyway. But we get it in its purest form. We get it in all of its goodness. It's just unpacked with with satisfying joy. Because it, it wasn't compromised. Because we did wait. Because we did see the hand of God open generously and give us what our hearts desired. A lot of times, if you think about it, the things that we want, they're coming. They are gifts of God. But God, they need to come by God's means. Satan wants us to think that God is always holding back on us. Isn't that the temptation of Adam and Eve? Did God really say? Isn't he holding back on you? You could become like God's. If Christ is our Lord, we get the nations with him because he's a sharing God. He's incredible. 
He shares. He, he gains the victory. He's ruling over all this. He invites us to join him in ruling and reigning. He invites us to join him in the spoils that he has earned through redemption. And delight in the gift. And he even prepares a place for us in this new heaven and earth that he is creating for us or preparing for us. So there's, there's no need really to seek things sinfully. If it's bad, there's no need for it in our lives. And if it's good and God wants us to have it, we will have it. And it will be a whole lot better than the counterfeit stuff that Satan offers us. That what leaves us dejected, wound us, wounded, in bondage, and just wanting more evil to satisfy the evil that we just engaged in. Compromise. Compromise doesn't always end well. Think about Abraham and Sarah. God promised them a child, but time went on and they got impatient. I, I can fully understand it. They got impatient. They took matters into their own hands. And now to this very day, the enemy used that to raise up enemies of God. And this very day, those enemies are still existent. There's still this battle between people groups because of that act of compromise. There are consequences to these kind of things. God's plans need to be on God's terms. Otherwise, it can't deliver. Let's just turn the page a little bit here and close with this great victory that the king has accomplished. How how did he prevail? How did he do it? Now, he's fully man. He is fully man and yet without sin. How is that possible? In all points, tempted. Yet without sin. Well, Satan takes the lead in these conversations. But then uh, Jesus responds and he is telling Satan what to do. And in verse 10, he says, be gone, Satan. What can we learn from that? What does that mean? Well, that is a resistance. It's, it's not just letting Satan stay there and hang around. It's a resistance. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's exactly what Jesus did. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If we're willing to resist and not just give in, let him hang around, then it works. Resistance, grit, strength, resolve really works against the enemy because he's counting on us to be weak. He's counting on us to give in. So we have to. Reading between the lines, Jesus is saying, I stood here. I heard you out. I understand what you're saying. You have absolutely terrible ideas. They would have terrible consequences. I trust the word of God. I trust his goodness. I trust his timing. I trust his truthfulness. There's nothing here for me. So get lost. That's what the word means. Be on your way. Move, depart, get lost, remove yourself from my presence. We resist the enemy and we can say that. And as a result of this, Jesus does not fail and is not tempted, but rather he passes the test and he proves himself fit to truly reign and rule as a king. As the one man that is sinless. He's got grit. He's perfect. The Spirit led him to do this, and this is exactly what he did. And then the angels come, and they minister to him. What's it look like? He's, he's really hungry. 
What's it look like for angels to come and minister to you? They bought they brought him angel food steak. No doubt it had to be steak involved. Had to be. I don't know what they brought him, but they ministered to him. And that's what angels love to do. They were created to do that. They were there at his birth. They were there when he had to flee to Egypt. They were there in his childhood when he did his chores. They were there when he was in the temple. They were there when he faced the cross. And you can bet your britches that they will be there when he comes back again. They are with him, ministering to him, serving him, and taking great delight in that as well. And so the angels came to him and ministered to him. But I want to close with just a few more thoughts about, okay, so how, what did Christ do and what can we learn from this? So first of all, resist. We, we looked at that. Second, I know you already know this because it couldn't be any more obvious. Notice that he answers the father of lies by what? Quoting Scripture. Quote Scripture. How many times have you been told as a Christian, you need to write, read your Bible, you need to know God's Word, and memorize it. That's what Jesus does. You think his parents told him to do that? Absolutely. It was, it's a way of the faith. It happened in Judaism. It happens in Christianity. The Bible, God tells parents, bring your kids up in the admonition of the Lord. Teach them God's Word. They need it. They need it. Not just to, to get good grades. They need it in life. It can be a matter of life and death. Hide God's word in your heart. How can a young man, the psalmist says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Isn't it impossible with all the temptations that we have? By living according to your word, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Yeah, it is possible. And we see this in Christ. We have established already that to be in this world means to be in a battle. It means we will, we will be... Faced with these opportunities and these enticements and these in, and temptations on a daily basis. And sometimes they will get mean and brutal. How do we fight against it when they come faster than we even have a time sometimes to catch our breath? We have to know God's word. We, we, we get this here three times. The answer to the lie was quoting the revealed word of God. The same Words that we have access to, to fight the same enemy. We don't want to overestimate him, nor do we want to underestimate him. But through the word of God, we've got to know it. We've got to memorize it here. I don't think Satan's not always going to wait for us. Wait a minute, Satan. I got, uh, I got an answer for that. I underlined it about... Four weeks ago. Oh, wait a minute. We, we need to know it. We, it. It's our arsenal. It's our weapon. Three times he shoots the, the sword of the spirit, the word of God at the enemy to get him away. So we have to know it well, well enough for us to use. It needs to be disposable to us. Practical to us. It's, it's our great offense and our great Defense. It's our return fire in this battle. That was his return fire in this battle. So, you know, we want to ask ourselves a question. How well am I armed this morning to fight the enemy in this battle that I'm already in? Real simple question. And one of the things that uh, the Lord has done in my heart for this year, for 2017, is uh, reminded me I've got to get back to memorizing Scripture. 
because I forgot all of it. Because you know, I, I don't rehearse it all the time. If you don't rehearse it all the time, unfortunately for a brain like mine, it just leaves. It goes. It's gone. So now I have to get back into it. But that's a discipline that I need to practice. Memorize the Word of God. I need to have it there. One of the first things I would do if you came to me with an a, a issue in your life is I will find scriptures and assign them to you so that you have truth, God's revealed word, to battle against the lies that are in your head. There, there's no substitutes for that. The word of God. And if we don't have it, if we, if we don't have a response like this, then what can we plan on doing? Plan on getting beat, beaten up. Plan on getting manhandled. Put it on your day timer. Get beat up by Satan today because I don't have any return fire. I don't know what to say. I don't know who to turn to, what to turn to. So I guess I'll just let him flip me around, throw me out, submit me. Jesus says, I'm living by what comes from the mouth of God. Are we living by what comes from the mouth of God? Because if we're not, then our minds are open and fair game. That statement assumes that we know God's word. In order to be mighty, in order to be mighty, we have to be able to quote from the Almighty. In order to be mighty in battle, we have to be able to quote from the Almighty. So God's revealed truth. And secondly, and last. Satan answers this great temptation. I'm sorry. Jesus answers this great temptation with the greatest truth the universe. You're reminded about it in Jeff's message. And that is God alone is to be worshipped. It is so simple and yet so profound. And to quote Piper as well. There is one main truth in this text that worshipping God is the duty of every human being. The basis of this truth is this. If the very Son of God counts it his duty to obey the command to worship God, then how much more must we count it our duty to obey this command? To worship the Lord. And then he tells a little story I'm going to share with you in conclusion. He says, suppose you're a kid, you're playing in the streets outside the mansion of the king, and the king's own son comes out and starts to play with you. After a while, he invites you to come home with him and meet his father. And at first you decline in fear. I'm I'm just a peasant. I, I don't have a noble name and my clothes are all dirty. I'm not fit to visit the king. But he just smiles and he says, that's okay. You're my friend. He won't mind. So you follow the son, the king, through the huge gate. Your heart is beating so hard you can see it moving through your shirt. And it occurs to you that you've never met a king before And have no idea how to even approach a king. But the happy stride of your friend, the king's son, puts you at ease. And you remind yourself that the king is his father. They no doubt have a wonderful relationship. Everything will surely be all right. By the time you reach the king's chamber, you are almost feeling at ease. And then something utterly unexpected happens. As the son knocks at the chamber door. And hears the deep welcome from the other side. His whole demeanor changes. His gaiety turns to gravity. Not grief or sadness, just gravity. Like something weighty is about to happen. And the change isn't artificial 
like when an actor's joking behind the stage and then quickly puts on a new face to go on the stage and be sad. Change wasn't like that at all. It was more like when a mountain climbing team is driving toward the mountain that they aim to scale. They're joking, they're talking about, they're laughing about the former good times and then all of a sudden they round the curve and that mountain comes into view and there's silence. As they drive their final miles. The laughter wasn't phony. It was real and good. And the silence and the awe in the car isn't phony. It's real and it's good too. The son puts his hand on the long door handle of the king's chambers and opens the door. His face meets the king's in the most natural manner. And then he kneels. and puts both knees and then his face on the floor of the king's chamber. And he waits. It didn't take any great chain of reasoning for you to know exactly what you must do. You had never read it in a book. Your mother never told you. But you knew if the son of the king bows before his father in holy silence, this peasant child better get on his face before the king. God alone. Worship God alone. Be in right relationship with God alone. There were lots, you know, there were lots of answers that Jesus had in his arsenal to ward off the tempter. But he says, it's God alone. Only God gets this. Only God gets what's in here. The love, whatever love I have to offer, whatever devotion I have to offer, whatever's in there, Fellowship, friendship, whatever's in there, God alone gets it. The brunt of it, the most of it. The rest of it goes as he wishes. There's a priority to worship. Matthew 6, 33. First seek his kingdom, his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. God knows our needs. The things come in time, but there's a priority and God has to be absolutely first. And if we want something more than God... Even this morning, we're in trouble. We're not in a good place. Because it's God alone. So we want to love God and live by the words that are spoken from this awesome God. And the devil will flee and God will minister. Now think about that. This isn't the kind of message that we can just afford to forget because we are in a battle. Let's make sure that when we leave here, God has our treasure. God has our devotion. God has our hearts. Let us love God alone. And may he bless the preaching of his word this morning.